Our Father, as we continue to study, we just ask for your continued guidance and blessing, and thank you for hearing us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We are talking about the Spirit of God working um, on the human heart. And it's important for us to, re to remember this, that people basically respond intellectually and emotionally. And if you remember the, what we are studying, that most people make decisions they first feel and, and then they make decisions. And what the Spirit of God has to do is that he has to somehow tap into the mind and the heart of the person. True conversion does not take place just in the, heart, in the mind. True conversion takes place in the mind and heart. Now, I, I know that when you think of the heart, you don't think of a heart that thinks but apparently there must be something about it because recently I remember an interview with a man who had a mechanical heart implant. And they were talking and interviewing him. And they asked him how he felt about certain things and his response was, I have no feeling about that. And I thought, you know, it's interesting. He doesn't have his heart anymore, so he has a mechanical heart. And he no longer has a feeling toward that which before he felt something for. So when God says, I will write my laws in your mind and in your heart, then it means that both the intellect and the emotions must be tapped in order for true conversion to take place. Does that make sense to you? Does it? Now... The Spirit of God, obviously, is working, and here's a statement, as the wind moves uh, in its force upon the lofty trees and brings them down, so the Holy Spirit can work upon human hearts, and no finite mind can circumscribe the work of God. <coughs> the danger with, with uh, designing methods, today we are trying to define method, methods for different things. For example, when I first became an Adventist, back in the 60s, there was the hippie movement. Any of you were hippies at that time? No ex-hippies. All right, we got two ex-hippies. Then after the hippies, it was the flower children. And then there was the yippies. How many of you remember some of those groups? What's interesting is that during those days there was an attempt to try to put together a method to reach these people. Then after that group, of course, then you have the yuppies. You've heard of the yuppies, right? And then you have the Generation X, and then you have the Postmodern Society. You have all of these groups, and there's always an attempt to try to formulate a method by which these groups can be reached. The only problem is that that, that is considering the idea that people are static, that people don't move, they don't change, they don't, uh, they don't make a, a, 
they can be something today and tomorrow they can be something else. Is that true? And I was in a certain city in Europe teaching uh, a certain division leaders and I began to talk about getting decisions. And one of the pastors said, we don't need that stuff. We need something to reach a postmodern society. And I said, well, please forgive me, but that doesn't exist. He was shocked. I said, that's only a coined term that evangelicals have invented to sell books. But if, we, if you give me some time and listen to me, then you can determine whether or not this will reach people. So he said, say on. I spent a week with him, and by the conclusion of the week, he came out to me and apologized. The problem is that a lot of times, when we're dealing with slow winning, there are a lot of misconceptions. A lot of what? Misconceptions. Misconceptions, misconceptions lead to wrong conclusions. But for the sake of time, since I don't have a full week with you, I'm just going to uh, delve into the, what matters to you in terms of uh, working. Now, I told you that when you're doing your practice, you're always looking at signs, indications. Dr. Latour looks at the skin. He looks at growths and etc. cetera. Uh, and he's, he's been trained at, at being able to recognize certain indicators in the skin that tells them if it's melanoma or whatever skin problem it may be. When we're dealing with, with people, spiritually speaking, we also have to look at indicators. Notice it says you cannot see the what? The operating agency, but you can see it's what? It's effects. So when you're working with people, since you cannot see the neurons shooting and triggering this and triggering that, you have to be able to get to the place where you can detect from the outside. Because the Bible says that God looketh on the what? Yeah. On the heart. But man looketh on the outward appearance. Now, that's not always a negative thing. Sometimes we think it's negative, but it's negative if you become judgmental. But it's not a negative thing if you're using that for the purpose of evaluating which direction you should take when you're talking to somebody. And so you have to learn to evaluate, to kind of do a, uh, a, a surface diagnosis, uh, if you please. All right? Now, like the wind, which is what? Invisible. Invisible, yet the effects of which are plainly seen and felt is the Spirit of God in its work upon the human heart. So, we're watching, we're trying to observe, and we're trying to see what's taking place. Though we cannot see the Spirit of God, we know that men who have been dead in trespasses and sins become convicted and converted under his operations. The thoughtless become, uh, and wayward become serious, the hardened repent of their sins, the faithless believe, the gambler, the drunkard, the licentious become steady, sober, and pure. The rebellious and obstinate become meek and Christ-like. When we see these changes, then we know that God has worked. So it says, while the wind is itself invisible, it produces what? Effects that are seen and felt. So the work of God upon the soul will reveal itself in every act of him who has felt his saving power. When I work with people all the time, 
and I'm talking to them, I'm observing, I'm watching. Because I'm watching to see what kind of uh, responses, whether it be body language, facial expressions, tone of voice, etc., to see how they're responding to what I'm presenting to them or, or uh, what I'm saying to them. I'll give you an example. Uh, I was in Australia, pardon me, in the Philippines, and every year I uh, accompany a group of uh, Europeans to go there and do evangelism, and I coach them how to do the evangelistic meetings. And this particular time there was a young lady that I sensed was in the third category. What was that? Harvest. So the mother came up to me and said, uh, my daughter is not baptized yet. Would you mind spending some time with her? I said, I suspected that, but then now you've confirmed it, so yes, I will. So when I got the opportunity, um, I uh, sat with her and went to the fort, you know. So where you come from, et cetera, et cetera, your background and all that. So then I said, uh, so when did you become an Adventist? Now I know that she's not, but the reason I do that is because I don't want, don't want to assume anything. I want to hear from them, okay? You understand? And the way that they respond tells me whether or not they're sensitive about my question. Did you hear what I said? So I said, so when did you become an Adventist? I'm not an Adventist. Well, that immediately told me that that triggered a, a I touched a sensitive spot. Okay, I'm not an Adventist. Oh, I said, uh, the next question, so what would keep you from becoming an Adventist? And that's a key question, you gotta write it down. What would keep you? Well, what? What would keep you, okay? So, she said, oh, I got a lot of objections. I said, wonderful. Would you mind writing them down for me so I, I, I love to hear objections. She said, yeah. So I said, when can we meet together again? Well, about two days, she was ready. She had a whole list. <laughs> so we sat down together and we went one by one by one by one and I cleared and cleared and cleared and cleared and answered all her objections. Finally, when I was through with her objections, I asked the question. I said, okay, her name was Ramona. I said, Ramona, so what would keep her from becoming an Adventist? And then she, she just burst out and said, I don't want to have to wear my hair in a bun and wear long dresses. <laughs> so so <laughs> I said, well, what told you that you have to wear your hair in a bun, your hair in a bun and wear long dresses? I said, look at the other girls. Of course, we had about 50 people with us. I said, are they wearing long dresses and have their hair in the bun? She said, no. Well, by her response, it was telling me that she was very sensitive about the issue, which means then that the Spirit of God was working. Means what? Spirit of God was working. And you should, you should recognize this fact, that you and I have the privilege of seeing divinity in action. When we learn how to recognize those things, we actually become participants 
in that divine impression tapping the neurons and making using the electrical impulses of the mind to do what the person needs to do. As I said, I don't know exactly which way it goes, if it goes to the hypothalamus, etc. I just know that it works. Now today, uh, I don't know how many of you have gone through security and they put you in one of those little cages, glass cages. Any of you have been put in those cages? Have you seen those cages? Uh, what they're actually doing is these machines now have the ability to, to check your uh, reaction and uh, to tell whether or not your uh, blood pressure is increasing, if your, your breath is uh, uh, increasing. Uh, in other words, if there's distress being created in you, which lets them know that something is happening inside by what's happening outside. Did you know that? You didn't know that. Well, I should tell you this. I, I happen to be a, a, a policeman, <laughs> and so I get some insights into things that you may not. The, the amazing thing is this, that as man can figure out how to create machines that can tell, give a sense of what's happening inside, then what about God? Hmm? And can God communicate to us how to detect if something is happening in somebody else? What's the answer to that? Yes, yes. yes or no? Yes. All right. Now, the important thing is to learn to watch. Learn to what? Watch. watch. Say it again. Watch. One more time. Watch. Okay. Learn to watch. Because when you're dealing with souls, just like uh, uh, in your medical practice, if you learn to observe, uh, you can tell a lot about the, the patient. Is that true? Yes. Yes or no? Yes. Okay. In the spiritual realm, the same thing happens. Uh, you have to learn to watch and know what to watch for. The indicators, all right? Notice it says, Jesus watched with these earnestness, a changing countenance of his hearers, the faces that expressed interest and pleasure, gave him great what? Satisfaction. As the arrows of truth pierce to the soul, breaking through the barriers of selfishness and working contrition, there's the Spirit of God working through the electrical impulse, right? You understand? All right. Breaking through the barriers of selfishness and working contrition, and finally gratitude, the Savior was made what? Glad. So Jesus was what? He was watching. So the question is, what do you watch for? Right? Here's what you have to watch for. Just one simple word, and uh, Neil Netley brought it out yesterday. The word conviction, right? Remember, what did he, what did he uh, say the word was? Conviction. Convict. Oh, yeah. What's a convict? Remember that question he asked? Guilty. Okay. What's a convict? Somebody who recognizes that they are doing wrong. All right. So conviction. So, when a person is being worked upon the, by the Spirit of God, if the wind is blowing, you will tell that the wind is blowing by indications that make it obvious that there's conviction. Okay? Now, conviction is the voice of God speaking to the conscience. 
or in what we talked uh, about earlier, the Spirit of God impressing the electrical impulses of the mind to, to move that person to make the decision in favor of whatever God is speaking to them about. Okay? So, the voice of God speaking to the conscience. When it comes to conviction, then, you need to personally be acquainted with it. And obviously, you're here because you've been convicted at some point in your life. Otherwise, you would not be here. Correct? Number two, learn how it works. How does conviction work? What does it do? Number three, what are the indications that it is present? And number four, once you see conviction, what do you need to do to bring that decision to its uh, maturation? Okay? Now, notice it says every fresh display of the conviction of the grace of God upon the souls of the unbelievers is what? All right. So if it's a display, it is seeable. Is that true? Yes or no? Yes. Okay. So we should then be able to look for evidences that tell us that the Spirit of God is communicating to that individual that we're speaking to. Now, Christ is the source of every what? There's the word impulse. Right? He is the only one that can what? Implant in the heart enmity against sin. Now notice this. Every desire for what? And what else? Every conviction of our own is a what? Evidence that his spirit is moving upon our hearts. Now that's good news. I've had some individual come to me and say, Pastor, I'm afraid I've committed the unpardonable sin. And I said, are you sure? Yeah, are you troubled by it? I'm terribly troubled by it. I said, then you're okay. That's right. <laughs> you see, because it says what? Everyone of our own is a what? So when you feel convicted about something, whether it be good or bad, right, you should rejoice. You should what? Why? Because it is an evidence that the Spirit of God is working on you. Good news? What do you say? Amen. All right, now, continuing on, since you have to look for this thing called conviction, how do you know that it's present? Just like you have to look. I remember when I was a medic, you know, they taught me, well, first you, you know, you, you take the pulse and you look at, at uh, how they're breathing to count how many breaths they take and and then uh, you check the, the temperature and etc. You know, the blood pressure, so forth. All right. The reason for that is that to see whether a person is in homeostasis or not, is, is the balance or not, right? If the, if the indicators tell you that the, they're, they're altered, they're, they're on a high level, the temperature is high, etc., you know, there's something taking place inside. Correct? All right, the same thing with the external indicators. Now, I want you to notice that there's positive and what else? Negative, Negative indicators, okay? Now, if you notice on the positive side, there's joy, sharing, telling others, uh, personal application of tears of joy. And of course, you know, I think you know that the, t uh, the tears that we shed 
if, we, if they're tears of joy, they have a difficult chemical composition than tears of sorrow. You knew that, right? You didn't know that? Well, I'm glad that you at least learned something today. <laughs> All right. Now, can't stay away. Lighting up a face, becoming friendly, questions, studying, positive attitude changes, lifestyle changes, restitution, peace, and pray about it. On the other side, there's sorrow, rejection, argument, tears of sorrow, avoidance, ang anger, resistance, objections, refusals to study, negative, and other changes, rebellion, denial, restlessness, irritable. Okay? Now, when I'm studying with somebody, or they're attending my evangelistic meetings, I'm watching them to see how they're responding every study, every presentation. The reason I'm watching them, by the way, I make sure that I go to the, to the door to check their pulse as they're leaving. You know what I mean by that? Yeah, I shake their hand, and I, and I, I want to see how warm they are, how they responded to my presentation. Because all of those things are indicators that tell me that, that they're either going one way or another. Do you understand what I'm saying? Are you hearing what I'm saying? All right, now. Let me give you some, some examples of this. Now, on this side, most of you probably don't have a problem with. You know, somebody comes, uh, walks off the street, starts coming to church, you see them beginning to change in a positive way, etc. You say, well, you know, they're moving in the right direction, right? Correct? Yes. The problem is, in the negative side, this is where most pastors have problems. Do you know what I said? I didn't say doctors. I said most what? Pastors, Pastors have problems. Uh, I should tell you this also. I don't know one course being offered in any one of our theological institutions that has gaining decisions as part of the curriculum. That's reality. Yes, sir. I do have one, a new one, it's called Great Story for Gaining Decisions. That's, that has the stories with their appeals, the verbatim, what you say in the appeal. So they're appealing stories for every doctrine that we have. For example, State of the Dead, the Second Coming of Christ, etc. In fact, you can download it on Kindle, Amazon.com. You can download it. It's called Great Stories for Gaining Decisions. If you have Kindle, you can download Kindle on your computer. It's free to download it, but then you have to pay for the book. But anyway, it's, uh, it's great stories for gaining decisions, okay? And that has the stories, the appeals, um, and, uh, you know, what to say, okay? So just go to Amazon.com? Amazon.com. And Kindle, K-I-N-D-L-E, I believe. And uh, you can download the Kindle program. It's free, and then you can download I think they have 400,000 books on the Amazon they sell. All right. The difference in the, the two of them is simply this. This side is when people are yielding to whatever conviction has come to them. This side, they're resisting. Okay? And it's not bad. 
Sometimes when people resist, we think it's bad, but it's not bad, it's good. Let me give you some, some um, stories, because they always seem to help underscore what I'm talking about. Uh, I was in Australia holding an evangelistic meeting. I just preached about the beast and the mark of the beast. And uh, the mark of the beast, at the end of the presentation, I went to the door to shake people's hands, and there was a man still sitting in the pew. It was in the Warunga Church, which is the division headquarters church. It's a long church, about 1,000 seating capacity there. And he was by himself sitting in that pew. So I noticed, uh, as I looked at, at, at his back, that he was with his head down, and his shoulders were doing this. So what does that tell you? His crime. So I approached him, and I said, are you okay? I said, it's, uh, can I do something for you? Um, can we pray together? So I prayed with him. He got up, and he said, thanks, and started walking out, still with his head bowed. And I said, I said uh, listen, I'd love to come and visit, visit with you in your home. And he walked out. Uh, next day, I think it was Sunday, I uh, told the uh, intern, the assistant pastor, that I needed to go see him. He said, we can't see him. I said, why not? He said, I called him to make an appointment. And he said, uh, don't come. I have family problems. I don't, I don't want anybody to come to my house. So I said to him, why did you call him? He said, this is Australia. You know, we make appointments here. This is not America. I said, you shouldn't have called them. He said, well, I did, and he doesn't want us to come. I said, who did he tell that to? He said, me? Okay, you don't go on going. <laughs> so he said, no, no, I better come with you. Otherwise, you would have gotten in trouble with the senior pastor. So we get there. The car's parked in the driveway, okay? The blinds are pulled, all right? And uh, so the indication says what? That he's, he's home, okay? The car's parked right there. The blinds are pulled. He must be home. So I go knock on the door, no answer. I knock louder, no answer. By this time, the intern was about your color, your complexion, and he was turning red. He was Irish also, okay? And he began, he began to say, Please, Pastor Torres, the whole neighborhood is looking at us. I said, he's in there. I, I knocked louder. And finally the door opened. And the guy said, all right, come on in. <laughs> so we went in and sat down. And by the way, he was single. He had no family. So we sat down. He began to cry. He cried for a half hour. I waited until he stopped, led him to the Lord. Later he got baptized. Amen. Okay. I went back two years later to another church to hold a meeting. He discovered I was in town. He came on Sabbath. I didn't know he was there. And after Sabbath, he came up to me and during the fellowship dinner and he said, Pastor Torres, he said, I'm so glad to see you. Remember me? I said, of course I remember you. How's it going? He said, uh, it's great. He said, and then he said, I want you blokes, and bloke is a term for, you know, you know, I want you guys 
to listen to this. And, and he said, you don't know this, but when you came to visit me, he said, I was angry. I don't want to see you. I said, I knew that. He said, you should know this, that I had terminal cancer. My family had abandoned me a long time ago, and I didn't have work. And the only consolation I had was to go to church, and you destroyed that. He said, I did not want to see you. But when you began to knock on the door, I determined I was not going to open. But then I realized you were more determined that you were going to get in. <laughs> and he said, I had to open up. <laughs> so he said, then he picked me up. And he said, I love you, buddy. He said, when I was baptized, my cancer disappeared. I got a job, and more, more important than that, he said, I got a church family. Okay. Now, what was his reaction to me? Positive or negative? Negative. Negative. Okay. Do you understand? Uh, another story. I was holding a meeting in Florida, Fort Pierce, Florida. Anybody from Florida here? No Floridians here. Okay. I was holding this meeting. And there was a lady who was attending the meeting. She was like a Lucille Ball, blonde hair, bleached blonde hair, you know, big blue eyes. And uh, she, was, she was always saying, amen, brother. She sounded like an African-American rather than a, a white, blue-eyed lady. And you can hear, she sat on, in the back all the time. And she said, amen, brother. And she kept on doing that. And one night in particular, she didn't say amen at all. So the silence told me what? Something happened. <laughs> so when I finished the message, as I was going down, there was a, a wealthy lady that stopped me. And she said, Pastor Torres, can I have a moment with you? I said, okay. Normally I try to get to the door, you know, to catch some people before they leave. So she said, it's important. I just got to tell you. She said, look, I, I, praise God, she said. She said, I've been addicted to jewelry. I have a chest full and every drawer is full of rings and necklaces and you have it and it doesn't matter where I go I got to buy something but she said praise God tonight I'm free okay where would you put her here or here she's yielding okay you understand is she convicted yes or no okay I get to the door and when I get to the door my Bible worker says to me man am I glad you didn't get here sooner I said why not he said uh, she was waiting for you I won't tell you her name but she was waiting for you I said, what did she want? She waited until she decided to leave. And she said this, when I get a hold of that black hair, beady eye preacher, I'm going to smack him in his face. <laughs> so, <like laughs> All right, so let me ask you a question. What side is she on now? <laughs> She's where? She's over here, okay? When I get a hold of that black hair, beady on preach, I'm gonna what? Smack him in his face. Is she convicted, yes or no? Yes. Strongly convicted. Please remember this. Great conviction, great reaction or action. Little conviction, little reaction or action. Okay? Great conviction, great action or reaction. Little conviction, little action or reaction. 
when you see that, see, we were told that when you see these indications, then you know what? That the Spirit of God is working. Now, please understand this. She's coming every night, all right? And she's coming for about three weeks. How long? Three, three weeks. Every night she's what? Positive. She's bringing her sister, her sister's husband, and her own husband. They retired from New York, Snowbirds, you know, that moved down to Florida, sold their big place, and bought a mansion down there and so forth, you know. And uh, she gets my handbill in her, in her letter box, as they say in Australia, and she's coming to the meeting every single night. And she's dragging her, her family with her, okay? All of a sudden, there's a snag. When you see that, you know that there is great conviction. There's what? Great, great conviction, okay? Now, what do you do with that? See, okay. Most of us stay away. And most of us don't even think it's conviction. Most of us think, it's, oh, that lady's angry, leave her alone, stay away from her. Okay. When I see that, I have to go immediately. It's like cancer. It's mastitis, and if you don't get to it quickly, you know, it's all over. Okay. So I went. That was Saturday night. Sunday morning, I was early at her door. When I knocked on the door, the husband opened up, and she said, he said, Reverend Torres, what are you doing here? I said, I came to see your wife. He said, you crazy? <laughs> I mean, literally, that's what he said to me. <laughs> I, said, I said, I need to see her. He said, okay, man, you're on your own. <laughs> and he left the door open and went someplace. I don't know where he went. <laughs> so <laughs> I walked inside, and I'm trying to orientate myself, you know. <laughs> And I hear a sound over here, so I turn around, and there she is. She's cleaning from the breakfast, you know, she's cleaning up breakfast, and she's cleaning the, the deck. And as she's cleaning the deck, I'm standing there like this, waiting, and she, all of a sudden she sees me. <laughs> I'll never forget. She said, just like that. And she began to scream. I mean, that lady was livid. She was, <laughs> and she said, She's yelling at me, and I'm sitting there trying to be as calm as possible. She said, how dare you do that to me? And I said, what did I do? You know what you did? I said, could you please tell me? She said, how could you do that to me? How could you embarrass me in front of all those people? I said, how did I embarrass you in front of those people? You know I was the only one wearing jewelry. How could you embarrass me in front of all those people that way? I said, well, did I point at you? She said, no. Did I call your name out? She says, no. So I said, if it wasn't me, then who was it? Amen. All of a sudden, she stopped. Her anger turned to awe. And she said, God, just like that. Okay? Now, here's the problem that we're dealing with. You know, the scripture says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. You know that statement? Okay. Um, when you're dealing with these kind of things like anger, avoidance, you can see rebellion, denial, restlessness, irritable. Um, they're actually positive in the sense that God is working on these people. The problem is that they don't know that God is working. Now, um, let me just show you some, some, uh, some things about this particular aspect. The anger takes place 
when the Spirit of God touches a particular thing in, person's, in a person's life. Now, I asked her the question, I said, um, did I only speak about that? I was speaking about Christian standards, is what I was talking about. So I spoke about smoking, and I spoke about alcohol. I talked about, you know, different things of the Christian life. And comparing it to Christ, you know, etc. And so I said, uh, did I speak only on jewelry? She said, no. I said, what did I talk about? She said, well, you talked about smoking, and you talked about drinking, and you talked about, you know, the different things. I said, so why is it that you suppose that I was pointing you out? I said, and she said, I don't know. I said, well, I'll tell you. Then I gave a Bible study on the Spirit of God and how He works. The reason for that is that most people don't know what the Spirit of God is and how He works. Let me, let me give you some, some background on this. When the Spirit of God is working on people, Nicodemus was convicted. But Nicodemus did not know anything about the Spirit of God. So even though he was a religious leader in Israel, he had no knowledge of the Spirit working. So he got frustrated with Christ. In fact, his response was, was, was uh, an obvious uh, irritation. Must I go back into my mother's womb? I mean, that's a grown man asking a, a, a silly question. Correct? Isn't that true? And so Nicodemus was irritated with Christ that Christ would suggest that he needed to be born again. But his response told Christ that he was under conviction. So as you're listening, as you're watching, you're asking questions, you can, you can tell. You can what? You can tell. Okay, notice what it says here about Nicodemus. How can these things be? Jesus said, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Nicodemus was a leader in Israel, yet had no knowledge of the workings of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Notice the uh, disciples that Paul finds. Paul finds disciples in Acts chapter 19. And he asks them the question, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? What was their response? We have not so much heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Paul then asked them the question, then unto what were you baptized? And they said, unto John the Baptist. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of water, of repentance, uh, but that they should believe upon one who shall come after him. When they heard this, it says, they were uh, baptized again. Paul baptized them. Now, they were the believers, correct? Had been baptized by John's baptism. By the way, did John the Baptist know anything about the Holy Ghost? What's the answer? Yes. He's, he said that God told him that when the Holy Ghost will descend upon uh, him, that, that would be a, a signal, right? Then, see, they were disciples, but did not know that there was a Holy Ghost. I was brought up a Catholic, and we always said in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Any of you uh, 
were Catholic before? Okay, did you ever do that? We especially did that when it was thundering and lightning. And we wanted, we wanted St. Barbara to protect us. So we say, Santa Barbara, you know, all right. Even though we were taught to say in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, they never told us anything about the Holy Ghost or who he was. The reason for that is this, that they believe that the priests played that role. Therefore, they try to lead the people to the priests rather than teaching them that the Holy Spirit is the one that convicts of sin. So, I grew up without the knowledge of the Holy Ghost. I knew, I knew something about Jesus, that he would get crucified, etc. I knew there was a Father because we were always told about the Father, but I knew more about Mary. Okay? But we didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit. Okay, now, when people don't know the thing, if religious people don't know about the Holy Spirit, and now let me say this to you, with all due respects, those who are in the charismatic movement are in greatest danger because they have been led to believe that the Holy Spirit is, is a feeling. Say what? It's a feeling. And the problem with that is that they're told that when the Holy Spirit comes to you, that the feeling is always a good feeling, joyous feeling. All right? Do you understand? So when they come on the conviction that they ought to keep the Sabbath, that's not a good feeling. So they begin to assume that it's not God that's convicting them, but that this is a spirit that's not from God. And they turned their backs on truth because it doesn't feel good. So people who are in the charismatic movement are in a worse condition than a Catholic who doesn't understand anything about the Holy Ghost. Presbyterians, etc. Many people don't understand. And if that's true with religious people, what about people who are not religious? So you deal with a lot of people in your, in your uh, practices that are not religious, correct? They may, they may, for example, just recently, I had a young man uh, who came to me and uh, said, because I'm, I'm doing a class, a Bible class at the university, and he said to me, uh, Pastor, he said, I, uh, I feel kind of strange. He said, I... I I, I kind of feel like maybe, maybe there is a God. And uh, what do you think? You think I should, uh, this guy's a business, businessman. He said, do you think I should yield to it or, or should I resist it? And he's asking me. <laughs> you understand? So what do you think I'm going to tell him? I said, brother, God's speaking to you. Go for it. He said, really? I said, yeah, all right, man, I'll go for it. Okay. But they don't understand what's happening. See, they begin to feel something inside. They don't know what that is. And that's why you play the role of connecting people with the Spirit of God and helping them to understand that. Now, uh, hurry up. The light of Christ sweeps away the darkness that covers their sins, and the need of reform is made manifest. Now notice, while those who what? Yield to the influence of the Holy Spirit, begin to war with who? Themselves. Those who cling to what? 
War against the who? And its representative. So when they don't understand what's happening, they begin to interpret it as a guilt trip, harassment. And it's up to you to help them to understand that the Spirit of God is speaking to them. Are you getting this? So, our role as participants in salvation is to cooperate with the Spirit, to watch when the Spirit is moving and the tree is moving. Once the tree is moving, then it is our responsibility to help that person yield. For example, you may have people who come to your practice who are sick, and you may be talking to them about lifestyle changes. Some of the people may not appreciate what you're telling them and resist. Don't assume that that's negative. Go to the next step to see whether or not, in reality, they're just simply resisting something that they don't understand is happening inside of them. Now you may say, how do you do that? Next class. All right. Avoidance. I can tell you about avoidance. Uh, I was holding a meeting in, in uh, Roswell, New Mexico is where I was. The year before that, I did a meeting up in Rio Dos, New Mexico, which was 74 miles one way. Well, the meeting I was holding, some of the kids that I had baptized up in, uh, hippies that I had ba baptized up in, in Rio Doso were bringing a bunch of young people down to my meeting, 74 miles one way. And uh, then they stay up till midnight, and then they go back up at midnight, back up to Rio Doso, get up in the morning, go to work, and then by this time they were no longer hippies. So now they're coming back every night. There's about eight or ten of them that are coming. So... There was a Pentecostal pastor along with them. But he was coming with the sole purpose of discrediting me. Because he saw these young people very enthused and all that. And he was hoping to win them over to his side. You see? Well, the boy and girl, the young man and young woman who were baptized up there, were playing along with the pastor, hoping then that somehow he'd get caught here. You see? <laughs> so... So he was coming with the purpose of taking them to his side. They were bringing him along with the hope that he would turn to this side. So anyway, one night I preached about the grace of God and the law of God. And when I did that, um, I noticed before he would come in and sit and listen. And he would go back, and the kids told me this, that uh, he would then begin to contradict what I taught. No, he's wrong in this, and he's wrong in that. He's wrong in this, and, you know, so. And so... He would come the next night, listen, and go back at midnight. Well, this particular time, he didn't come into the church after that sermon. He came with them, but he didn't come into the church. He stayed across the street in one of the members' homes and uh, then went back with them. So I noticed that. So now I realize he's what? Avoiding. He's avoiding. Okay. So then, next night, he does the same thing. He comes in and doesn't come into the meeting. So I said, good. Okay. So when we finish, I go across the street, 
And I asked the lady of the house, where is he? He's inside. Good. So I sit outside on the porch talking to, because I'm doing this time with answer questions, you know, that they had and all that. So I'm sitting outside with them. I'm waiting for this guy to come out. He's not coming out, right? Midnight comes. He's not coming out. All of a sudden, I hear a sound rustling on the side of the house. And I look out, and I see a leg protruding out of the window in a body. He literally jumped out the window into the side alley and took off running to the back of the house. Well, I jumped over the banister and took off running after him. (laughs) (laughs) So he was a smoker. So I gave him enough space, you understand? So I kept on going after him. And he's running around the cars, and I'm thinking to myself, I hope the police don't come. Anyway, so I'm running after him. Finally, he can't run anymore, so he stops. I come up to him, he said, what are you doing here? You know. So I said, uh, what do you think? I said, look, Alan, Alan was his name. I said, you think you're running from me? I said, you don't need to run from me, I'm nobody. I said, what's happening is that God's speak, speaking to you, and you're having a hard time with that conviction. And he kind of went like that. I said, Alan, don't resist the Spirit of God. Give yourself to him. So I prayed with him. We walked back. He never came back to the meeting after that. Probably had never in his life had a preacher chase him. (laughs) So two years later, I had moved from... New Mexico to Oregon, from Oregon to Kansas City, and I was the evangelist in Kansas City. I get a telephone call at 2 in the morning. It's Alan. He says, you remember me? Yeah. He said, uh, look, I want to thank you for chasing me. I said, Alan, I said, where are you? He said, I'm in Mexico. He said, just wanted you to know that I'm a Seventh-day Adventist missionary. So I said, well, what happened? He said, well, here's what happened. When I heard that message on the grace and and the law, he said, I knew, I felt strongly that I should surrender. But he said, I had a conflict because when I was a child, I committed myself that when I grew up, I would become a preacher. And now I was, see. But he said, I couldn't reconcile accepting this message and the fact that I was a preacher because I somehow thought that if I accepted this message, I would have to give up that which I committed myself to do for God. So he said, That's, that was a struggle. But it troubled me and troubled me and troubled me and troubled me. After you prayed for me, I just couldn't be at peace. And he said, finally, I decided I turned in my credentials. And like, if I wasn't going to be a minister, it didn't matter. At least I knew I was following what was right. And he said, after I did that, peace came over me. And now I'm preaching the truth. He said, praise the Lord. Thank you for chasing me. Okay? Avoidance. What, what is it? Avoidance. So when people are under conviction, they don't understand what's happening, just like when people are sick. You know, recently I was sick. I had an appendicitis, okay? And I was in Switzerland. But I thought I had the flu because I was teaching a class and the kids had the flu, you know? So the doctor came to see me, a friend of mine, and uh, how are you doing? My, your wife says that you're uh, a little sick. I said, yeah, I got the flu. I said, uh, can you give me something? Because I got to preach in the morning. It was Friday night. I had to preach in the morning. I had to preach three times, one, in, one 
one in another church and one in another church. So how'd it go to Geneva? No, so, sorry. Uh, Zurich, I had to go to, which was about two miles, two hours away, etc. I had a lot of traveling on that day. Anyway, he said, I don't do that. I don't just give medicine just, you know, because somebody asked me. I said, well, it's okay. I said, you know. He said, no. He said, you come to my office. I said, Doc. He said, you come to my office. So I went, went to his office uh, Saturday morning, took, took the blood test, and he said, I'm pretty sure you have appendicitis. Let me press. So he pressed it. I said, no, Doc. It doesn't hurt? I said, no. So I said, just give me something. So he gave me something. He said, but I'm pretty sure it's appendicitis. So I go and do all this preaching and all that, you know, and uh, I come back that night, 10 o'clock at night. He said, look, he said, you, I'm sure. I said, Doc, no. He said, jump. I said, what do you want me to do? He said, I want to see you jump. I said, sure. So I'm jumping. He said, you're not supposed to be able to do that. I said, well, I'm doing it. He said, it doesn't matter. You got to put aside this. He said, go to the hospital and get a, get a, 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 a ultrasound. So I went to the hospital, <laughs> got an ultrasound. Sure enough, I had appendicitis. Even though I had no signs, you know, other than feeling like I had the flu, it was appendicitis. And uh, so that night I went to surgery. Uh, next day I was out of the hospital. But <laughs> so. Sometimes people don't know what's inside. It's up to you. It's up to who? It's up to you to tell them what's going on. What do you say? So you not only be a physical doctor, you become a what? A spiritual doctor. Because there's nothing more important than a spiritual salvation. What do you say? Okay. Notice the woman at the well. What does she do? When Jesus said, go get your husband. She said, I have no husband. He said, well, you're right. You had five and the one you have is not your husband. Oh. See? You understand what I'm saying? What's that then? Conviction, you see? So it says she could deny how much? But she could, she tried to what? Evade. Evade, you see? All mention of a subject so unwelcome. With deep reverence, she said, Sir, I perceive thou art a prophet. Then hoping to what? Silence. Silence, conviction. She turned to points of religious controversy. There you have it. Okay? Did you hear that? Okay. So sometimes people do that. They can't handle what's happening inside. They don't know what's happening inside. Uh, sometimes they think you are the troubler, you know, like Elijah. Are you the trouble of the people? And they assume it's you. And by the way, if people attack you when they're under conviction, don't get upset, don't respond in a negative way because then they will feel like they're correct, like it's you. If you don't respond in a negative way, etc., you don't get upset and all that, then you don't give them the alibi that they want to get to say it's you. Okay? Like that lady said, you know, I'm going to get a hold of that black hair BDI preacher and smack him in his face. You understand? Not very. Not, not nice language. Anyway. Yes, sir. Let me give you, what time is it? Okay. All right. Let me, let me explain to you, and I'll explain it more in the, in the next section, okay? What has to happen is this. When a person has an objection, treat it as if though it is an honest objection. Mm -hmm. Never treat it like it's a put-off or 
you know, it's not, it's, it's, it's not genuine, etc. Accept it as a those of genuine question and answer it in a very respectful manner, okay? Just uh, a quick example. I had a fellow that was, uh, the wife was an Adventist. She wanted me to visit the husband because he was not, had been married 10 years. He had not made a decision to be baptized. He attended the church for 10 years, kept the Sabbath, paid tithe, did everything, but wouldn't get baptized. So I go there, and the first thing I try to do is the Ford. The what? The Ford. Get acquainted, et cetera, et cetera, find out where they are, okay? So I find out he's a Catholic, and uh, he grew up in, in Kansas City, Missouri, uh, he's married to this dear woman. She was a godly woman. Uh, he loved the church, kept the Sabbath, you know, everything about the church he loved. The fa church family, fellowship dinner, he loved the food, everything. All right. So uh, I asked him the question then. I said, so, Sai, when did you become a member? Now, I know he's not a member, but you remember, I'm trying to what? I want to hear their response because I want to see if it's something that's, troubling them, and you put your finger on the spot or not. You understand what I'm saying? So he said, uh, he responded by saying, I can't accept that my mother worshiped the devil. That was his response. So I thought to myself, the first thought I thought, well, what does that have to do with the price of tea in China? <laughs> you understand? What would keep you from getting, becoming a member? I can't accept that my mother worshiped the devil. I'm not understanding. So I asked the, I asked the question then. Uh, what do you mean? Before he was saying our church, our people, our food, you know, God's Sabbath, etc. All of a sudden he said, you people teach. When he said you people teach, he was under conviction. See? That let me know I was dealing with somebody under conviction. So now I have to uh, walk gently with him. Okay? So I said, uh, so what do we teach? You people teach that the, the Antichrist is, is uh, the Catholic Church, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to figure out where you're going, see? And, and you teach that the devil is the one that guides that organization, right? I said, go on. I didn't want to say yes. I said, go on. <laughs> I'm trying to find out where he's coming from. He said, if I were to join your church, I would have to accept that my mother was worshiping the devil, and I can't do that. Okay? In his mind, he was thinking that to become an Adventist, it would mean that he had to admit that his mother all this time was worshiping the devil. Do you understand? Don't worry about the dog. He's not under conviction. <laughs> all right. All right, so do you understand what I'm saying? All right, now, quickly. I asked him the question, how close were you to mom? He said, very close. And then I saw a tear in his eye. Okay, his mom was dead. And I said, uh, he said, yeah, she was always worried about me. I said, about what? He said, well, I was an alcoholic. I said, you were an alcoholic? He said, yes. I said, are you still an alcoholic? He said, no. Did he, your mom pray about that? He, he said, yes. I said, your mom prayed that you somehow would be delivered from that? Yeah. I said, you're no longer an alcoholic? He said, yes. I said, then who answered your mom's prayer? The devil or God? He said, God. I said, look, my mom was a Catholic also. And uh, she prayed for us that we become good Catholics. 
But I said, instead, we became good Adventists. I said, and I believe that if your mom was alive today, she would be rejoicing. Number one, that God's giving you the victory. Number two, that you're married to a good woman. Oh, he said, yeah, I got a wonderful wife. I said, number three, that you belong to a good church. And then I saw tears running off his face. And I said, Sai, what would keep you now? So you first clear the objection and come back to the question. Do what? Clear the objection, come back to the question. Now what would keep you? Okay. Then he said, I work for the Social Security Department that prints all the checks from Missouri to California. And if I get baptized now, sometimes it falls on, on Sabbath, and I have to be there. And if, I, if I'm not there, I'll lose my pension, and I ha only have two years to go. I said, Sai, do you think that the one who answered your mom's prayer to, give, to deliver you can answer our prayer that God can deliver you from this one? He said, yes. So you want me to go talk to your boss? No, I'll talk to him. So he said, you pray. So we prayed. We prayed for two weeks. He took it to the boss. The boss had to take it all the way up to Washington, D.C. The messenger came back down and told him that if, when it falls on Sabbath, that they'll hire somebody else to do it, to replace him on that day, so he can keep working. So he came on Sabbath and he said, Pastor, Pastor, he said, praise the Lord. He said, they, it had to go all the way up to Washington to see. And the word came back that I can keep working and they'll hire somebody else on my Sabbath. I said, okay, Sai, now what will keep you? See, all right, he said nothing. Next Sabbath he was baptized, okay? So find the objection and clear it and come back to the question. All right, let's take a break. This media was produced by Audioverse for Amen, Adventist Medical Evangelism Network. If you would like to learn more about Amen, please visit www.amensda.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.